Well, good morning. My name is R.D. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you have the Holy Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11. The book of Acts, chapter 11. That is where we'll be camped out this morning. We're starting a new series called Ready to House. There you go. And you may be able to realize what this is about, uh, the house that we're getting ready for uh, to move into. You saw in the announcement September 13th and 14th, which will be here before you know it. It's finally going to happen. It's like I remember driving home every day, seeing the Metro Market get put up. And it seemed like it would never happen. And then one day I went in and I was like, this is the greatest place in the world. Like if you finally experienced it by looking on the outside, and as great as Metro Market is, uh, it's not God's house, right? It's not the church. And so in between though, now and September 13th and 14th, we wanted to have a series where we just kind of prepared ourselves for what moving in there is going to be like. So my wife and I are not super type A, super clean people. And so our house now, especially with twins, can sometimes get a little messy. And so since we've been married, though, we've kind of made it a point uh, to um, invite people over to our house, like on a Friday night, so it will force us to clean our house and get our house ready for them to come over. Because otherwise, it just won't happen. You say, I'll get to it tomorrow, which translation means you will never, ever get to it, right? And so we invite people over And uh, like Friday night, and so it's like Tuesday, okay, let's invite uh, these people over on Friday. So we've got three days, and then like Friday at 4 p.m., okay, let's clean the whole house. We've got to get ready because when they come in, you want to have this spotless house. And uh, that's kind of what we do. So uh, September 13th and 14th is when the house, uh, to the extent that we can make it, will be ready. And in between now and then, we want to get ourselves ready to prepare a place, but not just a place. It's not just a building, right? There's nothing magical about the building. It was built with anything you could build any other building with, okay? We want to prepare not just a building, but a people to inhabit it, to gather together in multiple services to reach more people for Jesus in this city, that this would be just a place of grace and of hospitality and of transformation, right? Because God um, is, is everywhere, but when the church gathers together, there's just a sweetness and a beauty about it, right? And so we want to prepare ourselves for that uh, because it's ultimately about Jesus. All of this is ultimately about Jesus. And we want to make much of him by the way in which we steward this. And so to do that, I I want to um, just, I've been praying that, that what God has done throughout history, especially in the book of Acts, that he would do even more now. And so the prayer of Habakkuk from Habakkuk chapter three, verse two, has just been on my heart. I want to read it to you. The prayer that I've been praying for our church, for the new space, for all of this, this is Habakkuk 3.2. The prophet writes, he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And that's what we want to say. Lord, repeat what you've done throughout history now. Repeat what you've done in redeeming people, in rescuing people. Do it again now. Do it even more so now in this next season of what you're inviting our church into, your church into. Repeat what you've done, God. Rescuing people, ransoming people, transitioning people from death to life. We stand in awe of who you are, God. In our time, make yourself known. Well, to look at where we are, we have to go back to one of the very first churches that God ever started. And that's why we're in Acts chapter 11. The title of the message is Even to Gentiles. 
which I'm assuming most of you in the room are Gentiles. So this is going to be an applicable message to you. The scriptures break people down into Jewish people and everyone else are the Gentile people. And we're looking at a text of scripture today in which the Gentiles for the first time in the history of the church became Christians. And so Acts chapter 11, we'll start in verse 19. Start in verse 19, even to Gentiles. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, the Gentiles, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Okay, so you have a lot of names there, a lot of geography there. So I thought I'd, I'd put a map up of the, the Mediterranean, and uh, really just so I could use this thing, which is pretty awesome. So if any of you are falling asleep, it's coming. It's green. It's like a lightsaber. Okay. So Jerusalem is right there. You may have heard of it. That's where things got going. There's a church in Jerusalem. This is taking place in about A.D. 44. A.D. 44. And uh, the first church was there. And then Antioch, which is the church we'll talk about this morning, is right here, now modern-day Syria. There's Antioch right there. And you may recognize some of these as, as books of the Bible. They're really actually places, cities, not just books of the Bible. Okay, This is where Paul went on his missionary journeys. So that gives you a sense. The church started here. This church was planted, and then from here, Paul would go from Antioch all around the Mediterranean Sea right here. And so this is what the book of Acts is talking about here. So that may be just, it helps me sometimes to remember uh, what it looks like. So there you go. Okay. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled far away. So here's the deal. The church was very, very persecuted in the early days. And Stephen was killed in Acts chapter 7. A a true man of God was stoned to death for his faith. But did that stop the church? Right? Persecution does not stop the church. It just makes the church spread underground and sometimes even faster and faster. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He did not say the gates of hell sometimes will not hurt the church or persecute the church, but it will never stop the church from spreading throughout the world. And so the early church was persecuted unendingly. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it records this. It says, some faced jeers and flogging and even change and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, a la Stephen. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. The early church was a persecuted church. But the early church was not the only church to face persecution. I don't know if you've seen what's going on in Iraq this week. Uh, it, it is beyond belief. I just want to say a few things about what's going on. Um, that I was reading this morning that brought me to tears. And we'll see if I can keep it together as I share now. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians who are being killed in Iraq right now by ISIS who wants to take over all of Iraq. And I read not, not just Christians are being persecuted, especially Christians, but all kinds of religious minorities are being just killed throughout Iraq. Uh, I read this morning that Christians are being crucified. They're being buried alive. The... Archbishop of Baghdad, who's an Anglican, uh, wrote yesterday on his blog that he got word that a five-year-old boy who'd been named after him, 
a boy named Andrew, had been named after him, he'd gotten word that this boy had been sawed in two by ISIS. Right? I read on the mountain where a lot of Yazidis, who are not Christians or Muslims, are being trapped. 40,000 people on this mountain where there's no food, there's no water. If they go down the mountain, they'll be killed. Right? I read this morning in the New York Times that moms and dads are spitting into the mouths of their children to try and get them liquid. Right, see, Hebrews chapter 11 and the early church can seem like distant. But right now, we have thousands of brothers and sisters in Iraq and throughout the Middle East who right now are being sawed into and being killed and being crucified and being executed. And so what I want to do is actually pray. And I want everybody to pray out loud. And if you think that's weird, <laughs> I hope you don't think it's weird because we're actually at church. <laughs> if you're not a Christian, then don't feel like you have to pray, Okay. What I want to do, if everybody prays just to themselves out loud, you don't have to hear anybody else's prayer. But what you will hear is the sound of hundreds of people praying to God for our brothers and sisters in Iraq, which last night was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard at the service we had. So here's what I I want. If you feel comfortable praying out loud, it doesn't have to be loud, just in your seat, bowing your head, praying for our brothers and sisters in Iraq, praying for the city of Baghdad, uh, for the men, women, and children who are being killed and killed and killed, for the church there. Because Paul writes in the New Testament, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Right? The people in Iraq are more your family than your biological family are. And I don't want to just, because we're in Madison and we have all these things, to forget about what's going on. So pray however you feel led for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I wish we could pray longer, and I'm just going to close us in prayer uh, at the end. So after I say, let's pray, you just bow your head, pray out loud, and we just want to hear, we just want to raise up prayers to God for the people who are being persecuted. And actually, I also want to pray for the terrorists that there might be Saul-like conversions among them. Because I think when Jesus said, pray for your enemies, he had ISIS, he had Al-Qaeda, and he had Hamas in mind. Because only the gospel is going to change hearts. Okay, let's pray together, church. Father, we could pray and pray and pray and pray and keep praying. And I just want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in Iraq, who are in Syria, who are in Israel. Uh, Father, that you would just have your peace among them, that you would be strength to them, that you would be grace to them, Father, um, for the men, women, and children who are being persecuted because they just put their faith in you. I pray that as a church, we would rally around them. Father, that we would just be with them, that we would have solidarity with them. And Father, that men and women who are pursuing terrorism, that you just change their hearts and knock them off a horse, that they would make much of you and turn to you, God. And so we lift up those who are suffering around the world because of their faith. And we look forward to the day when we'll see them face to face around your throne as our family. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison, and those who are mistreated, since all of you are one body. We are all one body. See, I'm reading, Hebrew, I'm reading Acts chapter 11, and I, I'm reading, now those were scattered because of the persecution, and then 2,000 years later, Christians are still being persecuted because of their faith. But here's the good news. Jesus is on the throne. And though the church is persecuted, and though the church is scattered, the church will not be stopped. And the good news of Jesus will still continue to reign out throughout the world. This is what the church at Antioch is dedicated to. Verse 20. Some of them, so some of the people who flee their homes, these refugees, they're leaving their home, uh, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, to Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to encourage you that this is good news for you and I, because up until this point, the church has been around just over uh, a decade or so. Uh, it had basically been all conversions of Jews. Right? There were no Gentiles coming to faith at the beginning. It was a Jewish religion still. And they would have their Judaism, and then they would become Christians. And the Gentiles were not, at the beginning, a part of the early church. But apparently some of these guys didn't get that memo. And they couldn't shut up about Jesus. They show up in Antioch, which is a cosmopolitan city. Antioch was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire, a center for worship of gods and goddesses, a center for prostitution, uh, a center for the arts. I mean, it was a massive city that was very both non-Jewish and obviously non-Christian. And these guys show up and see all these Greeks and Gentiles, and they say, we got to tell them about Jesus. Right? Just evangelism-type guys. And they didn't get the memo that only Jews up to that point had been converted. Right? They, they saw these people, I love it. it, says, some men went to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. The good news of the Lord Jesus. Well, how did they get that idea that the gospel is not just for a certain group of people, but for all people? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 11, the, the first part here, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, I'll just summarize it. Peter one of the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem, a, a Jew of Jews, right, who becomes a Christian but still has his Judaism and has all of the dietary restrictions that a Jew has. He has this dream. I mean, you, know, you remember the dream where these animals uh, come down on, uh, on this kind of tarp thing and the Lord says, I want you to kill these animals and eat them. And Peter's like, you know, as someone who's, who's Jewish, uh, he's like, no, no, I'm not going to fail this test. I'm not going to eat that. I know what you're trying to do, Lord. I know I can't eat any of those uh, because of, right, the law. And the Lord, what does the Lord say? He says, well, anything I've made clean is no longer unclean. You can eat this. And, and what God is saying here is that Peter's about to get a visit from some Gentiles connected to a leader named Cornelius who want to inquire about becoming Christians. And so God gives him this vision. He says, whatever I've, I've created, whatever I've made is pure. And so then Cornelius and these other guys come to Peter, and he's like, well, maybe the gospel is not just for Jews, it's for all people. And Cornelius, as a Gentile, as a leader in the Italian army, he becomes a Christian. I mean, blows up Peter's worldview. And he says this in Acts chapter 10, 34 through 36. He says this, after God just kind of blows up his world and says the gospel's for everybody. 34 through 36. Peter began to speak. 
I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, all people, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So all of these Gentiles become Christians. But then the church, because sometimes church people are like this, are like, wait, are we going to let God save the Gentiles? Let's form a committee, right? Because that's how church people operate, okay? They have to have, you know, get their approval before God can start saving all kinds of people. And so actually in Acts chapter 15, they do form a committee, a council, to say, will we allow God to save the Gentiles? And they vote, and they say, yes, we will. We will let God, we will let God save the Gentiles. We think this may be what God wants to do, right? So in Acts chapter 11, right before this... Um, Verse 1, it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that Gentiles had received the gospel. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them? And so then Peter goes through the story again. And at the end of it, in verse 15, he says this. Peter says, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit came on them like the Gentiles, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. Even to Gentiles, God says, I want them in. They get to be in through repentance and turning to me. And how do we know that God blesses this? Well, verse 21. So these, these guys start sharing the gospel with all these people in Antioch. They're part of the church. And then verse 21 of chapter 11 says this, the Lord's hand was with them. Right? If God wasn't about saving the Gentiles, the next verse would say, the Lord's hand was not with them. The Bible is very clear about where the Lord is approving things and not approving things. Right? It doesn't say, and the Lord was angry because more people were coming to know Jesus. Right? It says the Lord's hand was with them. It was with them. His strong arm was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's good. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, so the church in Jerusalem is like, okay, we're hearing some crazy things are happening in Antioch. There are these all kinds of people are coming to know Jesus, and the church in Jerusalem sends one of their guys down there, and it's like, you need to go on a mission. Find out if this church is crazy or if God's actually there. And so Barnabas rolls down or rolls up. from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he sees what's going on. What what is God doing at this church filled with all these Gentiles? Is this for real? Is God actually doing this in our time? And this is what he sees. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, right? Not the power of man, right? Not church strategy. Okay, all God's grace. What the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, a.k.a. our boy boy Paul. When he found him after his conversion, so it's good, okay, it's good. 
He has seen the light now, so they don't have to be worried. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's such a beautiful, powerful passage of Scripture where for the, the past 10 years, all the conversions had been in the Jews and they'd basically kind of been Jewish believers. But now there's this new name for these people called Christians, signifying their break with Judaism and they're becoming this own identity of Christians and at the church of Antioch, all this starts going down, right? God is saving all of these kinds of, I mean, all kinds of people filled this city. And God's saving all of them through the church, through the preaching of the gospel, through people being discipled. It's unbelievable. Oh man, to have been there, to have been there when God's spirit was moving like that. Well, remember the prayer of Habakkuk. The same God who worked at the church of Antioch, I believe, wants to work at Door Creek Church. Amen. It's not a different God. It's, it's, not, it's the same church. It's one church. It's his church. So as we, as we just kind of look at a few things here this morning, I just want to look at what, what happened in the church of Antioch that we can say as we ready our houses, we get ready for the next season, what God wants to do. What can we say they had that we can continue to make sure we possess and that God wants to encourage us to go take hold of? So a couple things I want to point out, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. What, what marked the church at Antioch that I hope marks our church? That should mark any of God's churches. Well, number one is this. The church at Antioch was a church for all people. That should be obvious by now. <laughs> all people. They, I don't think they cared who walked in the doors. Whoever you are, you can walk in the doors of this church. That's why Peter says, he says, I see that God accepts people from all nations. This is chapter 10, verse 36. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. If Jesus Christ is Lord of all, then the gospel is good news sent to all. If Jesus is the Lord of all, then the gospel through the church is the good news proclaimed to all people. Because at the heart of the early church was this declaration, Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of my life, Lord of my marriage, Lord of this city, Lord of this church, Lord of, Lord of this nation, Lord of the galaxies. He is the Lord. You're not the Lord. The king's not the Lord. I'm not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And so the gospel about who is the Lord should go out to every single person, regardless of who they are, what they believe. And so this church, as we've been saying, as Marx preached so well, that this church, we want to be a church for all people. People of every race, right? People of every socioeconomic status, okay? We want this to be a place of all people, no matter what you believe, Republican, Democrat. All, we want you to come in the doors. Packers fans, God's chosen people, the Cowboy fans, right? I see you, Tim. You know, right? Okay, I'm not sensing the unity that I'm just preaching about. We, I'll pray for you. Let's pray again right now. Right? All kinds of people, Right? That we come together, like anybody who comes in uh, now, and especially in the future, we want to say, we don't care what you believe. We welcome you into this place. We, we don't care. We don't care. This is a church for all people, because this church, Church of Antioch, I think blew up, because I, I just believe their hospitality was off the charts. And they said, hey, come join us. Come see what God is doing. Wherever you are on the journey, you're welcome here. 
But being a church for all people does not mean that you accept everything that all people believe or practice, okay? The second thing that marked the church is not just being a welcoming place, but number two, preaching the gospel of grace. Preaching the gospel of grace. Chapter 11, verses 20 and 23. Some of the guys, this is just going back to that, began to speak to the Greeks, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching repentance by faith alone, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And then again in verse 23, um, when he arrived and saw all of the grace of God had done, the grace of God was doing all of this and encouraging all of these people to come to faith through the preaching of the gospel. So at the church at Antioch, they're preaching the gospel. Guess what? We're preaching the same gospel here at Door Creek Church. And only through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel will men and women have their hearts changed, have their hearts softened, have their hearts challenged. So what marks a, a, a true, vibrant, living church is where the gospel of grace is continually being preached and proclaimed to people. And week after week after week, you're hearing the good news of what God has done through Jesus. No matter the text, we always get to Jesus. Because Jesus sits behind every single text of Scripture. Every single word of Scripture, Jesus sits behind it. And so Door Creek Church, we, we, everyone, anyone who gets on this stage is going to be someone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus. Because if it was good enough for the early church, it's good enough for this church. We welcome all people. We say God accepts you where you are, but he does not want to leave you where you are. Right? The gospel meets you wherever you are in your life, but the gospel then wants to transform you and your marriage and your kids. It just wants to keep transforming you. That's the journey that God's calling us all to be on. So a church for all people, the preaching of the gospel of grace. Number three, God's name is greater than their name. Right? What are the names of the guys who start sharing the gospel with the Gentiles? What are their names? Oh, I don't know their names. I have no idea who they are. Do you think that they said, I'm not in the book of Acts. I did all of this work. Paul's in there. Barnabas is even in there. Where's my name? right? I was the first person to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Where, where's my name? And it's not in there. Because you know what? The thousands and thousands of men and women who make up the book of Acts will never know their names because they proclaimed one name, that God's name is greater than their name. And that God's name is greater than your name. Church of Antioch no longer exists. God still exists, <laughs> right? And so Door Creek Church is our name, but I pray that it would not be the names of people here. It would not even be our church's name. It would be the name of Jesus that we lift high because there are thousands and thousands of people who've been a part of this church since the beginning, most of whom none of you never, will never know. But God knows them, right? If you spend your life making much of your name, you will be miserable and lonely. If you spend your life making much of the name of Jesus, your life will be full and hard, but rich and joy-filled. The early church was committed to making much of Jesus and not their own name, not their own fame. That's a mark of a church. Your fame, your name, God. Number four, a radical devotion to Jesus and each other. This is what Barnabas notices. When he, verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all. They were already doing this. He's encouraging them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. They were radically devoted to each other and to the mission of the church. And so Barnabas shows up, and he's like, these people, they've got it going on. They love each other. They care about each other. They're devoted to each other, right? Do you think there was fighting? Yes. Do you think there were issues in the early church? Yes. Hence Paul writing all the letters 
to the early church saying, I want to encourage you and here are the things you're doing wrong. Okay, let's not romanticize the early church, right? God's spirit was very thick there, but they're just like you and me, they're sinners. And so there are a lot of issues, but I know that every time, just by God's spirit, if they're humble, gospel-centered people, they would be repenting people. Because what Satan wants to do is to divide our church. And the prayer of Jesus over and over again is for the church to be united. Now I know, you know, no church will, will ever be perfectly united. Right? Our church has been divided. Our church will probably be divided in different ways again. But that should not stop us from coming together again as one family, repenting to each other, confessing to each other so that we can be on mission together and quit fighting and start loving and working for each other. And that when someone like Barnabas or someone comes from the outside, they see the spirit that we have together. And they say, look what the grace of God is doing at Door Creek Church. Multiple venues, multiple services, all kinds of people. Some people who naturally maybe just aren't going to get along, but the gospel transcends your preferences. The gospel transcends your desires, right? As a pastor, I have, you know, things I want to pursue, I'm passionate about. Sometimes they get knocked down. Sometimes they get accepted, right? But if I'm somebody who says, you know what, I want this, this is my preferences, instead of saying, I want the gospel to be proclaimed, and my preferences are far below to make much of Jesus, that I want to be devoted to the other pastor, I want to be devoted to my wife, I want us to be devoted as a family to each other. So that when people hear about Door Creek Church, they hear of a united family who's devoted to each other. I want to encourage you this morning like Barnabas did. Let's keep doing that. Because that is so hard to do. Let's love each other, let's care for each other. If we have issues with each other, let's talk to each other, let's confess to each other, and let's keep living life. Right? Because we're a family. And there are always going to be issues in family unless your family is not like my family. But, yeah, your laughter says it all. (laughs) Radical devotion to Jesus. The fifth one and the last one here. So I'll go through them again. The church for all people. Preaching of the gospel of grace. God's name over their name. Radical devotion to Jesus and each other as a family. This is what marked the early church. Needs to mark our church. Number five, trusting Jesus to build his church. Trusting that the church has a future no matter what happens to me. Hence, Barnabas going to get Paul, right? He goes to get Paul. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, right? Saul's already been converted and he's gonna be the guy who just helps launch the church. And so Barnabas goes to get Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch because his Antioch, God's doing something crazy here. You need to get here. And he started teaching people the gospel. And that's what he does. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers. They're discipling people. They're mentoring people. They're opening up the scripture saying, this is what it says. They're training up leaders to go start more and more churches. Because Paul is someone who Jesus is going to build his church through. It's going to be amazing. In fact, this is what happens. I want to run through this very quick. I know it's quick. That's part of the effect, I hope. So this is what happens. This is how you and I are actually connected to the church at Antioch because Paul goes to Antioch and from, remember the map, from the church at Antioch, he starts his missionary journeys. He starts the the global movement of the church away from Israel and Syria into the ends of the earth. So 44 AD, the church at Antioch is started. The next year, after Paul's done teaching, he goes to Turkey on his first journey. In 51 AD, Paul goes to Greece. In 53, one of the other disciples, Thomas, brings the gospel to India. In 170 AD, the first reported missionaries reach England. 
In 313, the Emperor Constantine legalizes Christianity in the Roman Empire. At that point, over 50% of the people in the Roman Empire were already Christians. In 635, the first missionaries reached China, which now has 60 million Christians. In 900 AD, the first missionaries reached Norway. In 1496, the first missionaries reached the New World. In 1669, the first missionaries established a church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. In 1906, Norwegian missionaries plant Bethany Church on the east side. In 1965, Bethany Church plants Buckeye Church. In 2000, Buckeye Church becomes Door Creek Church. In 2011, that church plants the North Campus up there. In 2014, by God's grace, we'll enter a new season at this building. In 2020, I have no idea, but you know what's going to happen. God's going to keep building his church. He's going to keep building his church because what happened in Antioch matters to what happens now because persecution can't stop it. And you and I at Door Creek are connected to what God is doing. You cannot stop the spread of the gospel and the building of God's church. It will not stop. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, we are still here. This church is still here. I pray we're here in 100 years. But you know what? If this church is not here, there will be some other churches who are here. We do not exist just for the sake of a building. We exist to start more churches. That's why we started North Campus. God willing, we want to start a campus downtown. We want to be involved in in missions in Africa, all these type of things, because we want to spread the gospel to all people. Because what God's done in your heart, he wants to do out there. And a church that's been marked by the gospel says we want to spread it. We always want to keep it. We want to spread it. And, I mean, that was just some quick things. But 2,000 years, Jesus continues to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a promise. And so we look forward to one day when the whole church is together. This is Revelation chapter 7. I can't, I can't wait. Can't wait. This is the whole church together. Iraqi brothers and sisters, Afghanistan brothers and sisters, people from South America, all kinds of people will be together. And this is what we're going to be doing. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count uncountable from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Amen. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And before the throne, all of you in this room who profess Christ as your Savior will be saying that with people from all over the world, from throughout all of history, praising one name, making much of one God. That's where we're headed, and we want to see the new Jerusalem enacted even here and now among us. We want this church to be filled with people of all kinds of persuasions, whatever they believe, and that they would hear about the gospel of Jesus. Because, man, we just believe this. This, this, is what, this is what I've been praying. Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I know you've heard of his fame too. We stand in awe of all that you've done, Lord. Repeat them now. In our time, right now, August 10th, 2014, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy, right? This is what you and I are caught up in. This is what you and I get to be a part of. This is what the God of the universe invites you and I into. The church. God's body, God's, Jesus' bride. This is what we're a part of.
I'll close with this letter that was written in 130 AD by an anonymous person commenting on the early Christians and what marked them. Right? Not, not a believer, but he wrote to someone. This is the letter to Diognetus in 130 AD, and these are some observations he had about the early Christians and how they seemed to be living in like two different worlds, and he couldn't get his mind around it. And so he just wrote what he observed about the early church. This is 130 AD. It'll be on the screen. For the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country, nor language, nor customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity, inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing and food and the rest of their ordinary conduct. They display to us a wonderful and confessedly paradoxical way of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. Every foreign land is as if to them their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. These are the Christians. This is, I hope, what some might say about this church. Because I know who's ready. God. He's ready for what's next. He's ready for what's coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that even to the Gentiles you granted repentance that leads to life because of that all of us who are here are in the family. And so Father, we give you glory this day for this church which you started through men and women that you will continue to build. We pray for whatever you have next for us, God, that we would be of one mind, of one spirit, of one heart, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I thank you for the men and women at the church in Antioch and on whose shoulders we stand. I pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq. Even now, I pray for all of our Christians around the Middle East. I pray even for conversions of men and women who are hurting and killing people, that you would change them by your gospel. And I pray wherever the church is gathering today, that in our time, you would repeat what you've done. In our time, you would make your grace and your majesty and your beauty known. And in wrath, remember mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.